well, I got to Kansas City on a Friday. Yes! By Saturday, I learned a thing or two. <laughs> Here, big. <clears throat> no, I think a little. How old is this farmer? Uh, uh, I, I imagine middle age, but you can. Yeah, big. All right, that's down here. <laughs> <laughs> Take another sip of my alcoholic beverage, and then the scene will yeah. begin. Everyone hold on. Hold for alcohol. <clears throat> yeah, pig. Get your food, pig. Boy, I sure do love raising pigs for meat. Mmm, that's right. Safest thing in the world. I keep my chickens right over there, and I keep my pigs right over there. All in close proximity with each other and covered in their own feces and no negative repercussions to come from it. <laughs> well, I can't believe I came from New York City and moved right out here to a farm in Kansas. What's that now, dear? Oh, I was just saying how I love raising my meat pigs and how nothing terrible can ever... Ugh. Hold on, I'll finish this sentence. Nothing. <coughs> Aw, what's happening, darling? Fever. Pain throughout my body, my lungs, the filling with fluid. I'm dying. Please tell my pigs I won't be there to kill them for meat. Doctor, call the doctor. Oh wait, we're the only ones here. Haskell County, Kansas, January 1918. Hello everyone and welcome to History's a Joke, a podcast where we deep dive into different stories from history. This week, I am joined by Paul and Sophie. Neither of them have heard this story before, so they will be asking questions along the way and helping me tell this tale to its fullest comedic effect. Today, we will be discussing the flu pandemic of 1918. It seems topical, and honestly, learning about the previous pandemic has helped in all kinds of ways with coping with the current pandemic. Did you introduce yourself? No, I guess I didn't. This is Zach. This is Nathan's is, brother, Amanda's. <laughs> this is Amanda's boyfriend's brother, Zach Hamer. Yes, this is my boyfriend's brother, Zach. He'll be doing the uh, also known as the Miss Frizzle of the depressing history facts. All right, here we go. Back in time, 102 years to the outbreak of the Great Flu, the Spanish Flu, influenza, the modern plague, the Blue Death, the Naples soldier, La Grip otherwise known as the first case of H1N1 or swine flu. So that same virus is around today, although genetically different than the 1918 version. Some listeners may remember the 2009 swine flu pandemic. Now, we started the show in Haskell County, Kansas on a pig farm because this is a very intriguing theory popularized by historian Alfred W. Crosby and author John M. Barry. However, in the last few years, research on tissue slides and medical records have not pointed to Kansas as being the origin of swine flu. Probably been around a few years prior to any of the cases in Haskell County. Wow, so you just made us lie to everyone via well... sketch form. Like we did that for the entire thing and it was it's a intriguing. big lie. I said it's intriguing. Wow. Most so sorry. the Kansas virus, as they call it. It should I be know. called the Kansas the virus, Kansas honestly. The Kansas disease. Kansas flu. We were tricked into performing that scene just so everyone's aware. No, no, no. Not racist. It's a fact. It's a fact. It started in Kansas. <laughs> Kansas cough. <laughs> <laughs> That's more catchy. The Kansas cop. Hey, let's call it that. <laughs> That's like a 1960s dance. Get Fauci <laughs> on the horn. <laughs> Doing the Kansas cough. Most likely the reassortment of swine flu. The reassortment is the mixing of genetic materials of a certain species into new combinations in new individuals. Basically how a virus jumps species. So the reassortment of swine flu was most likely around 1915 in North America and at a pig farm. Even though the virus was in pigs... It was an avian flu, a bird flu, originally and likely jumped from chicken livestock to pig livestock sometime in the late 1800s. So it wasn't really a lie in the beginning. It was just a possibly a fabrication of the actual. It was something. It was probably something like that. Where are we Very going, close. Miss Frizzle? A big vibe, 1918, kids. Let's go. What did Miss Frizzle sound like? I can't remember. She was kind of like sing-songy. Let's go. Uh, oh, that's yeah. a good Come on, kids. I watched that show a lot. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, you'll see why the Kansas origin story also makes sense. All right, back to Kansas. Did somebody call a doctor? Yes, he's right over there in the pig pen. Why, if my name ain't Laureen Miner, the pigs have started eating him. My God. Ignore that. That's not part of the problem. They just do that sometimes. Shoo now! Get on, piggy! This is the tenth case today in the hundredth this week. I may be a raging drunk like most doctors. <laughs> At the time. 
I may be a raging drunk like most doctors in this time period, but I know trouble when I see it. Also, I'm <laughs> taking prescribed codeine. Codeine freshens your breath and puts a pep in your step. Hello, is this the U.S. Public Health Service? I need help over here in Haskell County. We've got some sort of newfangled flu and I can't seem to get a grip on it. Yeah, yeah, we get calls about new diseases every day. I'm sure it might seem scary to you country folk, but here in the city, we are used to dealing with real diseases. Your illnesses won't spread far. You don't have enough people out there, all right? And in a way, that douchey public health official was right. The flu in Haskell County did largely go away due to lack of population and proximity in rural Kansas. And that might have been the end. Except America had made a rather large decision the year before. On April 2nd, 1917, President Woodrow Wilson... President? President, President, President Woodrow Wilson... President Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do an episode of Bridget Wilson because he's a crazy fucking dude. President Woodrow Wilson declared war on Germany, partially because of Germany's unrelenting U-boat attacks on U.S. passenger and merchant ships. But the war declaration was also based off something called the Zimmerman Telegram, and this is insane, which is a message from Germany, an intercepted telegram, a message from Germany asking Mexico to fight against America on the German side with guns and money that the Germans supplied and a promise to return parts of Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona back to Mexico. Okay, wait, how could the Germans provide them back with Texas and New Mexico? Assuming that they would just they seize invaded, it together? Yeah, and they'd seize America together, or at least the American South, and then redo the borders so Mexico got back all the land that they had lost to America along the South. What's the modern day equivalent, you think? Like an email, the like deleted emails or something being uh, intercepted? An intercepted WhatsApp message or something. <laughs> yeah, a snap. A Snapchat, yeah. Wake you up. <laughs> an Instagram DM. You up, I'll give you New Mexico. <laughs> this is all to say America was ready for war and war meant troops and lots and lots of troops in concise locations. This brings us back to Kansas. A few young men enlist in the army and leave Haskell County for training at Camp Bunston. How fun was it? Tons. Tons. <laughs> 56,000 troops assemble at Camp Funston, which is already over capacity and about to enter one of the coldest winters on record. Barracks and hospitals were still desperately trying to build and accommodate this huge influx of new soldiers. Wait, where's Camp Funston? Kansas. <laughs> oh, it's also in Kansas. Yes, this is why oh. the Can this is why I said the Kansas thing makes sense. This is just oh. 300 miles away from this hypothetical or or a uh, prospected pig farm. Funston, Kansas. There were pig farms all over Kansas. Haskell County was only, yeah, a few hundred miles from Camp Funston. Kansas is just farming pigs left and right <laughs> then right now. At that time, at least. Kansas Ch Chicken City. and pig farms. This meant many men were forced to sleep outside. So in direct contradiction with the health and safety rules of the camp, a commanding officer ordered all the men crammed inside the barracks. Crammed Wait. inside the barracks that were completed. Why did they have to go from camping to... Because it was going to be too cold. They were afraid that the people outside were going to get sick and die. So they put them all inside the barracks, even though there weren't enough for everybody. Mm. Probably thinking huddle together for warmth, too. Be, yeah. yeah just I mean, they had health and safety guidelines in place. taking off their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> the men from Haskell County arrived on February 28th. And less than a week later, the Camp Funston sick bay was flooded with soldiers. The first person at Funston to report ill was, of all people, the company cook. On today's menu... Tomatoes, canned cabbage, <clears throat> some of my mucus, some of my virus, no. virus-infected mucus, and also we don't have gloves yet. On March 4th, 1918, Albert Glitchell, who himself was from Haskell County. Fake news, <laughs> fake news name. I've never met never Albert Never heard Glitchell. of him. Never met Albert Glitchell in my life. Mr. Glitchell reported to the sick bay. A few days later, 522 men at camp were sick. And just a day after that, the virus had already reached New York City. Just Wait, like who went to New York City from this fort? One of the soldiers probably just went home on leave. Oh boy, I'm feeling great today. And there's no way I'll be feeling worse tomorrow. Time to go back to my hometown of New York City. Where the lights are bright and everyone touches the same subway railing. <laughs> just like that, the flu is back on the loose in the world. Even though there were extremely high rates of infection and higher than usual death rate, the military ignored the flu problem at Funston. 
as it appeared to be recessing by April. Wait, so this flu happening everywhere. Everyone's aware of it in the Florida. Just the military is aware of it. <laughs> Everyone's aware of it. Oh, just the military. Just the military is aware at this point. People are coming home and getting sick, but this is at a time when every year there was some terrible, you know, illness. The there year was before a was diphtheria. The year before something else. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so people were kind of always getting sick and dying. So it needed mm. to be big to really catch. I see. And, you know, catch people's attention. Sounds familiar. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so the military largely ignored the flu problem at Funston, as it appeared to be recessing by April, and there was a seemingly more serious measles outbreak in the military at the time. Additionally, whenever troops were mobilized, diseases would inevitably break out. So both the flu and the measles outbreaks were expected. Wait, how is the military the only people aware of this? Because it's only happening in the camps, really. It's, it, it's, it's spreading their cases in the cities, but... 522 people in one week is a large amount for a military camp. A couple of cases back in New York City is not going to raise any alarms, you know. The Camp Funston soldiers completed their training and in April 1918 boarded ships bound for Brest, France. Brest? <laughs> what are these? Brester? I went from... Hardly <laughs> From Funton, Kansas to Brest, France. Oh, you said Brest. Sorry, I had to get a little shout out to Beavis and Butthead there. <laughs> he said France. <laughs> All right, so someone, someone do sold the soldier in the ship. Listen to me, men. <coughs> we are heading for France. <coughs> we must fight with honor and virtue. <coughs> we must fight for freedom, liberty, and for keeping the current Texas borders. <coughs> now who's with me? Sir, how much did you have to drink last night? <laughs> Sir. What? <laughs> can I offer? Um, no, I am. I am, sir. Can um, I offer you some uh, dramamine or <laughs> what's going on here? Now, once these infected ships and soldiers landed in France, they covered the landing grounds with the flu. And since soldiers were only staying in the landing area for a short while before being sent on to fight, there was an ever rotating platter of new soldiers for the flu to infect. The ill coming off the boats infected common surface areas and fellow soldiers, and those that somehow didn't have the flu were certain to get it while awaiting their deployment to the front lines. There were British and French troops in close contact with Americans. Quickly, the flu spread between Allied armies as they marched across Europe and traveled back to their home countries and fought in the trenches. No, it's worse than marching. What? Marching with the flu. <laughs> That's probably true. Doctor's log. William H. Welch, April 1918. I continue to track the spread of an illness in our training camps. As of now, there are cases at some of our largest camps, as well as 30 major cities. I am one of the country's most famous doctors. I insisted that Americans get vaccinated. Luckily, that will never change. I advocated for the widespread use of microscopes so we can all see the teeny tiny things and... I helped start the Rockefeller Institute, the nation's first medical lab. Why, if you go there right now, you can see them sew a man's arm back on. Doesn't look great, it's often backwards, but it'll do. I digress. Today I tried again to warn the Surgeon General that when troops are mobilized, a viral outbreak is inevitable. He would not listen. I told him he should hire me and all of my friends to help fight and contain this outbreak, but again, he would not listen. Instead, the Rockefeller Center and myself now just work for the Army. However, today I think I have made a breakthrough. I am ready now to send out my new vaccine to the military camps for immediate use. And this will finally stop the terrible outbreak of measles. I'm asking you again now, how do you turn this thing off? That's right. Welch developed a vaccine to fight the measles as he thought the flu was seasonal and would go away with time and that the real problem going around was the measles. In fact, doctors didn't even need to report flu cases to the public health service. This is partly why the flu went unnoticed in U.S. cities for so long, even as it killed in high rates. And in another fateful twist caused by America's decision to go to war, 36,000 civilian doctors were overseas, leaving our country woefully unprepared to fight a pandemic at home. But now, we head into the trenches to see how the nature of war creates the perfect environment for disease. Keep your head down, unless you won't lose it. All right, how many men do I have under my command? 100 strong, sir, ready to fight. All crowded together in slim trenches filled up to the knee with water and blood. The perfect conditions to keep us healthy to fight. <coughs> Roger. 
I could see the enemy just across the field. Vulnerable from the looks of it. Seemed to be some sort of nasty cough going around there. Luckily it's evaded our ranks. <coughs> that time for attack is near, but not yet. Best we keep waiting, that's right. The longer we wait to attack, the more of a surprise it will be. <coughs> uh, the look on their faces when we shout surprise and charge across this trench. I wish cameras were portable enough to film it. That's how, that's how funny it's gonna be. Are you with me, men? Oh my god, they're all dead. At least the shitting plank won't be crowded tonight. I will have all the elbow room I ever wanted. This is the most depressing material I've ever read out loud in my life. What's the shitting Being plank? Being alone on the shitting plank is not... Is that a depressing thing? Is this a plank they, that was it would literally, it would Yeah, it would literally be a long piece of wood that they would either had holes carved in it or they would just hang their butts off of. There would be buckets underneath or just a trench dug. And they would just sit on a plank shoulder to shoulder and go to the bathroom. So everyone's just so, waiting in trenches for the other side to attack and they're just spreading. Forever. Spreading. Spreading diseases and just sitting in. I oh mean, people would die in no man's land and the rain would come and it would wash all of the blood and guts and infections and decomposing bodies into the trenches. People would drown in the trench because they'd either get wounded or they'd fall or they'd get stuck in them. I mean, there were mud pits that would suck horses and wagons into them. Oh my God. Like quicksand. I, I don't think... Of much about sanitation like these were all lessons that were learned the mm -hmm. hard way <laughs> yeah by over thousands of years thinking like, that oh yeah. <laughs> infection is caused by all that shit yeah literally shit as the flu quietly crept through the allied armies it began to affect their ability to wage war this is what finally caused military doctors to take notice at this new disease in war there are always new offensives in the spring as the weather becomes more conducive for combat this was the case in the spring of 1918. The Allies knew the Germans were preparing a massive offensive in hopes of finally winning the war. The Allies became alarmed when it appeared that they might not be able to stop a large German advance due to the flu. Captain's Log, May 1918. Well, looks like I screwed the pooch on preparing a measles vaccine. Turns out it wasn't measles at all along. Who could have known? Besides that one doctor in Kansas that no one listened to. I have turned the Rockefeller Center into a dedicated flu research facility, and I have asked you once again for any and all information on this new disease. But we must keep strong. We must keep this a secret. We must listen to our young people. We can't let the German and Central Powers find out we are battling a debilitating illness. Now, how do I turn this thing off? Oh, oh this is a loudspeaker. Now, it wasn't too difficult to keep the flu outbreak a secret. Through the passing of the Espionage Act of 1917, the government had clamped down on freedom of the press during the war, afraid that any war-related information might reach the Germans. So the government denied the flu outbreak, and the press printed their denials of the seriousness of this illness, tricking both the Germans and the U.S. population. As other allied nations contracted the flu, those countries used similar laws to deny and downplay the disease. It wasn't until the flu reached Spain in May 1918 that the extent and danger of the disease was fully reported on. Spain was neutral during the war, and it didn't have the same press restrictions. Because the headlines coming from Spain were actually depicting the horror of this illness, the world first learned of the flu from Spain. This is why it became known as the Spanish flu. No other reason. Well, well yeah, besides racism. That kept <laughs> saying it forever. Yeah. <laughs> As I became known as it, and then they kept the it name. For, yeah, right, every yeah. every single piece. But it's of, interesting that that's why. I've always wondered why, because I've never heard freedom anything of the press about in Spain is why. And yes. then yeah, then people in America kept would print Spanish flu and put it on posters I, long after. I think it was every single fact in history needs to have an asterisk that just says besides racism. <laughs> that's probably yeah. Yeah. every this reason anything also, happened. Well, people theorize blah 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 besides racism. And as America continued to hide the disease from its enemies and its citizens, Germany was dealing with the exact same problem. Nine, nine, nine. I must get... <laughs> I, I did a lot of research to get the accent exactly right. For, I, I researched General Ludendorff. I found the region of Germany that he was from. I researched, you know, his family lineage. Like, what kind of accent would he have spoken with? What were the times even? Like, there's so much that would have affected how he spoke. Recordings, people who have spoke to him. Um, Thank you so, so much. This We're here is, today on Inside the Actor's Studio with Nathan Hamer. This is going to be like... Favorite swear word. 
What um, turns you on? My favorite swear word would be nine, based on General Ludendorff's <laughs> prolific use of it in the following scene. This is General Ludendorff. Let's um, roll a clip, please. This is General Ludendorff. I just want to give a little explanation. This is General Ludendorff. He's 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 requesting reinforcements right now. Um, the diseases are hitting Germany. He's trying to figure it all out. And this again, this accent is completely identical, nearly <laughs> identical to what he would have sounded like. So I just want to let everyone know. Let's play the clip, please. Nine! 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 <laughs> I must get my reinforcements. This is General Ludendorff you are talking to. I'm the man who decided to send Vladimir Lenin back to Russia. That dude knows how to fuck shit up. He killed the entire Tsar family, which everyone knows is very metal. Now, I don't have to worry about Russia to my east. In other words, like my favorite video game character says in Duke Nukem, let's get some. Who is this, oh po- who is this podcast for? <laughs> Sir, I must respectfully ask for a delay in the final offensive. We still lack proper reinforcements. The Allies command key railways and ports and half a million soldiers are sick. Where is your accent from? <laughs> Germany, sir. And just like yours, it's the same. I, I'm from a very specific region in Germany, and after very much research, I've determined this is exactly how I would sound. Now tell us about this scene, Nathan, where you had a second line as Ludendorff <laughs> and your accent. Well, I'll let you speak about it. Well, the it. funny thing is I was taking a lot of pills at the time, and the accents were hard for me to grasp mentally um, while focusing on how to enunciate certain words or... <laughs> read the script for the very first time so um and again this is just for the context for the audience this is general ludendorff um on the front lines germany everyone's falling sick and you never rehearsed with the director <laughs> in rehearsed. the room no, did we, you we never rehearsed um rehearsals terrific. zach didn't believe in rehearsals he just thought they terrific. ruined the moment he thought they ruined the 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 flow so again this is ludendorff second line of the scene um the the most iconic line i think Yes, might say. yes, quite. An exquisite feat in filmmaking. Let's watch the clip. I guess we probably shouldn't have cut their food rations so much. Yes, I see. I must do the right thing and delay the attack until later, I say. Five days? Let all the people faster and sit around together, cheek to cheek, as one might say. Oh, and don't forget to bring all that super poisonous gas with you. That stuff is so great kills so many people. It needs like zero food rations. Everything today in Germany is food rations or gas. Food rations or gas. It's all we talk about. R.I.P. James Lipton. Yeah. On page, we are Seriously. on page 11 of 21, folks. <laughs> Can I pour the rest of this drink on your carpet sack for James Lipton? We should have yeah. done it when we started, really. Oh, we should have, yeah. <laughs> pour one out for James. Shame on us. Ludendorff delayed the attack only five days, and due to the fact that many Allied soldiers were recovering from the early spring French outbreak, the battle was fierce, with the initial attack and resulting Allied counteroffensive lasting 100 days. During this time, the Germans deployed their mustard gas, and as the flu-infected soldiers breathed the mustard gas, it settled in their nose and throats, one of the same places the flu virus lived. Those that survived the mustard gas may have been unwittingly giving the flu virus the habitat and fuel it needed to develop into an even more deadly strain. You see, mustard gas has certain chemical components that allow for genetic mutations in cells. The mustard gas essentially mixed with the flu and mutated into the next and even deadlier version of the disease. As the flu was ever-changing and ever-mutating, the exact list of symptoms changed, making it difficult to diagnose, especially since many of the symptoms had never been associated with the flu before. Doctors all over the world were perplexed and certain this was a new plague. Here are some of the symptoms of the 1918 flu. Headache, nausea, diarrhea, extreme muscle aches, extreme fatigue, fevers so high they would induce hallucinations, ear infections so swift they would cause the eardrum to rupture within hours, temporary or permanent blindness, deafness, and paralysis. Some people coughed so hard they tore their abdominal muscles, broke ribs, and even coughed holes into their lungs. The air would escape through tiny holes and settle into small air pockets underneath the skin. When a person with this affliction moved, you could audibly hear the air pockets crinkle and crack. The flu also caused hemorrhagic fever, 
which caused blood to fill the lungs and seep out of people's eyes, ears, and nose. This flu could kill a healthy person in as little as 12 hours. Many people died from drowning in their own fluid-filled lungs turning blue. Anyway, that's... Leave that with, uh, we'll leave wow. you with that. And now for a brief intermission. Well, no, I wonder it's why bad. do you think, uh, do you think that people's immune systems were weaker back then in general because they didn't know about whole nutrition and things like pollution it and was, hydration even? Yeah, I think it was a lot of, of. So a healthy person is probably much less healthy than healthy by today's standards, right? Much less healthy than by, by today's standards. I'm Part saying of the this because I'm panicking. Well, that's well, Joe. This is, this he was smokes 12 packs a day and he He's eats healthy? raw meat straight well, from yeah. the butcher. Even a Joe balanced could. diet would have been, yeah, what? Potatoes and meat and... Just steak. Potatoes and cigars. <laughs> yeah. Steak and cigars. Ludendorff suffered a huge defeat and his offensive was wildly unsuccessful. Seeing that the end of the war was near, he soon sequestered himself in an office and prepared for his escape to Sweden. This can't be happening. I did all the right things. I just don't see where I went wrong. What did an overambitious, ill-prepared, and understaffed plan ever fail before? Now I am forced to wear this fake beard and forced to, to wear these sunglasses in this big nose attached just so I can get out of here alive. That was scene three. Um, Thank you so much for sharing, Nathan. Tell us, what was it like to work with... Uh... Directly with Colonel Ludendorff. Yeah, what was, <laughs> what was it like to have Colonel Ludendorff on set as you portrayed him? Um, well, Tell for us. a brief period, I became um, Ludendorff, and we were one. You know, I, I really felt like his soul was in my soul. And um, yes, I, I understand he was wheelchair bound and mute. How did you? How did you understand that from I him? Al- I ate a lot of KFC. Write it down. Just to prepare. Ah, uh, yes. Ludendorff was able to escape to Sweden that fall, and for a time, all seemed okay. The war appeared to be over soon, and the flu looked to be receding. It was, instead, mutating... Just like his hairline. (laughs) (laughs) It was, instead, mutating and returning to America as soldiers sailed back home. All right, Captain's Log, late summer 1918. The mysterious flu is back from the trenches. I was called to Fort Devens in Massachusetts to expect another outbreak. There are sick everywhere. All training has been canceled, and any healthy soldier tends to those who are sick. Half the medical staff is sick. We need to bring in trains to haul away the bodies. Uh, sir, you are talking over the loudspeaker again. Ah, damn it, this is no time for semantics. I am asking you once again, get me the Surgeon General on the phone. I'll just hold the phone up, and you can talk louder. Listen to me and listen hard. We need to stop all troop transportation and build more hospitals for everybody, not just the rich, not just those who can afford it. This new illness can kill us all. And somebody get me Dr. Avery. We need that geek to solve this problem. Serious guy's like a freaking robot. I swear he powers down in a broom closet each night. If anyone can fix all this, it'll certainly be a nerdy single white man. The goal of the scientists working on the flu was to attempt to understand how the virus operates and how it is transmitted. But most importantly, they needed to identify the exact bacteria within the flu. This way they could develop a vaccine. But Dr. Avery wasn't the only scientist tasked with developing a vaccine. I want to talk about a scientific hero and a pioneer in disease research, Dr. Anna Wessler Williams. (gasps) You know? No, I don't. But oh. is that a woman? <laughs> it's a woman. Oh my god! There's a woman in the story. I, I don't know. Of course, I don't know. Hold I'm just on. shocked that I'm. Thought we had a what Wesley Williams fan. White man. I was here. Hang on, <laughs> hang on. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. But where's the white so man's what, voice in the story? So what? They couldn't get the guy. Story? He didn't pick up the phone. <laughs> I feel like this would play better from a man's perspective. <laughs> Who's her husband? This next scene will be read by. <laughs> Dr. Williams's husband. Right, Mr. Welch's <laughs> husband, Dr. Anna. In the late 1800s, Williams graduated high school and became a school teacher herself. While she always had an interest in science, it wasn't until she witnessed the incompetence of the doctor delivering her stillborn niece and almost killing her sister in the process that she changed careers and enrolled in the Women's Medical College of New York Infirmary. Upon enrolling in school, Williams wrote, I was starting on a way that had been practically untrod before by any woman. My belief at the time in human individuality, regardless of sex, race, religion, or any other factor other than ability, was at its strongest. I believed, therefore, that females should have equal opportunities with males to develop their powers to the utmost. Boom. 
<laughs> Narrator, boom. Roasted. She dropped. <laughs> Next, she dropped the mic. She then dropped the mic and went to medical school. After graduating, Williams worked on cures for diphtheria and rabies. She was also involved in laboratory tests on typhoid Mary and conducted diagnostic research on diseases affecting New York City street children. Spoiler alert, it was conjunctivitis. That's the eyes, right? That's the eyes. That's the shit in the eyes. That's the hey. old shit in the eye. The old shit in the eye. What? Well, street kids, you know, they weren't washing their hands. They didn't have bathrooms. They weren't washing their hands. Oh, they went to the bathroom the and then... Yep. Have you seen the Newsies? Mm. <laughs> that's, that's all about conjunctivitis. The whole song yeah. about conjunctivitis. It was cut. That? The original... Have you seen the original Newsies? If you look at the original makeup tests, <laughs> <laughs> you'll notice the detail. On sale, the auction, the original makeup tests for the newsies. The original pink makeup. <laughs> we have hundreds of unused pink makeup after they decided to shy away from the conjunctivitis. So sad. And in just about every case of William's groundbreaking work, the record of her position was in some way diminished. For example, within a year of work, Williams was able to isolate a strain of diphtheria bacillus, thus creating an antitoxin for diphtheria. This was obviously a crucial discovery, and Williams had made it while her research partner, William Park, was away. The research, by nature, is collaborative, so the strain was named after both scientists. However, Park Williams number 8 was soon shortened to just Park 8. During, bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. During a pneumonia epidemic in New York City in 1904, Williams and Park examined samples from hundreds of pneumonia patients and concluded that the bacteria pneumococcus was president. Was president. <laughs> Better than we have now. President pneumococcus. Pneumococcus 2020. <laughs> Williams had made this finding years before the scientist who was credited with his discovery. Dr. Avery, the same doctor that Welch tasked with creating a flu vaccine. So she had already beat him on one thing. Doctor, I know someone who would be perfect. No, no, no. A man. <laughs> yeah. According to John Barry, the author of The Great Influenza, Williams was a bit of an adrenaline junkie and liked driving in fast cars and riding in stunt planes. She was always speeding and would drive on the opposite side of the road to avoid traffic, apparently racking up quite a few tickets for all of it. Sounds badass. Wow. Yeah. Fast and Furious, 1918 Spanish flu. Sounds like <laughs> someone who feels, I don't know, unacknowledged or unseen in some way. <laughs> like maybe they have to act out in order to be noticed or recognized for what it is they're doing i don't know maybe it's just almost me. <laughs> Park shut up num- honey where's your husband park number eight <laughs> park eight vaccine yeah kind of like how uh the uh the broadway review of uh, bob fossey and gwen verdon's work was called fossey mm. and she was named artistic advisor yeah. history repeats itself this yeah. podcast is brought to you fossey verdon now on hulu her research partner park by contrast was a more straight-laced and aristocratic his family arrived in America in 1630 and 1640, so problematic already. And he was extremely religious, so he could not have enjoyed speeding down the road in Anna Williams' godless Buick. Williams and Park's plan was simple. Isolate the mysterious flu pathogen, inject the pathogen into a horse, extract the horse's blood, and by extension, the antibodies. I must find it. I must find it. The, bac- the what? Bacillus. I must find it. The bacillus. Pfeiffer's influenza bacillus must be the starting point for the virus. I need to confirm this. Ah, oh, Hannah, I didn't see you there. Here in my horse chamber. Come in. I have about 200 horses in this room with me. Crowded together. Sticky needles in their butts all day. Please, come in. Oh, well, the window was open. <laughs> Please, come in through the window. Sorry, the front door is blocked by horses. I have so many horses. Nothing clears my head more than sticky needles in their butts and seeing what happens. Please, come in. Even with all the scientific knowledge and track record of finding and isolating previous diseases, this was a slow, time-consuming process with no certain outcome. And there were definitely scientific skeptics and plenty of incompetent leadership. The Tammany Hall crew had recently reclaimed New York City and made a point of replacing anyone not loyal to them. This included the health department. Several New York City health commissioners were pushed out or resigned before one day... Why, what a beautiful day in my city. The sweet mix of horse shit and car oil. Hey, boss, my pal Royal, Royal Copeland, I think uh, he would be perfect for the new health commissioner. I know, he's bro Tammany, man, through and through. Um, this scene was played with a small toothpick in the corner of this character's mouth. Um, 
toothpicks were used currently in the 1918s just as kind of props or or people always needed to pick their teeth sort of compulsively amazing so a prop an, a character aid if you will much like brando with the uh, the cotton balls and the godfather it right? was it was better than brando oh um. yes well we'll see for ourselves won't we <laughs> let's let's watch the clip here Mr. John Francis Highland, an honor to meet you, sir. I too aspire to be a businessman, politician like yourself. Nothing wrong with making friends and making money while in office. Well, Royal, you had me at my own name. I don't even need your medical qualifications. Good, because you ain't got none. Well, I'm not doing anything. I was literally just standing on the sidewalk outside City Hall. <laughs> Shall we go upstairs and swear you in? Come on, everyone, let's go! Grab a bottle, make it a party! This actually happened. Some dude off the street with no real medical or scientific education and no real interest in public health became New York City's health commissioner. He was the dean of a homeopathic medical school, but, you know. But the mayor also was literally just standing on the sidewalk. And this dude just came up and entered, like, it was like... my mustache. <laughs> a good show. man, a very good man it is, and so I've appointed him because I've known him to be a good man. Solid man, fine man it is. I gave the mayor the typical late 1918 sign that I was ready to talk by twirling my mustache mischievously. Yes, good man. Scientists watched the new outbreak spread from military camp to military camp, and as it traveled on men, supplies, trains, and trucks all across the U.S., the Surgeon General did take Welch's warning and asked the military to stop troop transports, but the military declined and instead sent out a new wave of draft cards, which would require thousands of men to report for registration inside public buildings. The military, to its credit, did eventually cancel the planned draft registration. One thing that wasn't prevented, though, was people visiting their loved ones in the military hospitals. Family members from all over came to see someone they knew who had fallen ill with the flu. And these hospitals were not a sanitary place in the slightest. They are described as having blood everywhere, on the sheets, on the floors, on the curtains, all from leaking and coughing soldiers. These hospital visitors returned with the illness to their hometowns, while infected military train after military train crossed the U.S., stopping in towns all along the way. Does anyone else have any hospital jokes they want to share while we're on the subject of blood on the curtains? <laughs> This has been History's a Joke. Oh my um, if you're tuning in to listen to something funny, uh, we do apologize. Within weeks, the flu was everywhere again, and the government spin machine went into full effect. Afraid a massive pandemic would ruin both civilian and soldier morale for the war effort, the military did everything they could to keep the flu out of the press. Even as people collapsed on the street, hospitals filled up, and massive amounts of workers stayed at home from illness. Our old pal Royal, the NYC health commissioner, would deny there was an epidemic at all. This extreme downplaying of the illness and the crazed nature of paying for a war hit a perfect storm in Philadelphia. Philadelphia at this time was already considered one of the worst governed cities in America. The population had boomed during the war as there were thousands of jobs in steel and other industries beneficial to the war. The overcrowding of the city led to a lot of slums and makeshift housing in less than healthy locations. Entire families to one apartment room and wooden outhouses in the middle of the alley for hundreds living in the surrounding buildings to use. The mayor of Philadelphia publicly declares the epidemic to end soon and continued to do so for days as more and more people got sick and died. City officials just couldn't let the flu impact their war effort and the massive Liberty Loan parade that was about to take place in the city. This parade was basically a huge war fundraiser where soldiers of all branches and floats and many civilian groups would all march to the city and thousands would show up to watch and buy Liberty Loans. City doctors pleaded with the mayor to stop all public gatherings. He did not listen. How many porta potties do we need for the parade, Mr. Mayor? Oh my god. Two or three. I had a little bird. His name was Enza. I opened up the window and in flew Enza. Come on out now, children, and look at all the soldiers marching in the streets. It's your grandpa's turn to use the bed anyway. <laughs> they look sick, Mama. That one's not moving. Here, kids, poke with the stick. Now, if you'll excuse me, this is the perfect time to use the alley outhouse. There are no lines. Welcome to Philadelphia. Poop in an alley, why don't you? Three days after the parade, the hospitals in Philadelphia were completely full. People had to wait outside the hospitals in hopes to get in. Doctors and nurses were called out of retirement. Finally, the city shut down all public spaces, including churches... 
Just, this, this wasn't, <laughs> just for the record, in 1918, including churches. This wasn't related to the parade, though, was it? <laughs> but it was too late. Philadelphia suffered worse than any other U.S. city. Literally, they ran out of coffins, and guards had to be posted to control the few remaining coffins left. The city eventually stopped collecting and burying bodies, especially in the poorer parts of town. So people would just wrap and stack their dead up anywhere they could, including by the alleyway outhouses. On a positive note, the women of Philadelphia stepped up as the city government was non-functional at this point. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. The women set up a special phone hotline to answer questions people had. They organized for the distribution of food and medical attention in neighborhoods, and they set up soup kitchens at schools. Another positive story is of San Francisco. The city listened to their health officials, took all the appropriate precautions long before anyone had fallen sick. While Philadelphia denied the existence of a deadly flu in the press, San Francisco distributed 100,000 face masks to its citizens. Meanwhile, Welch calls Williamson Park and all parties confirm they have found Pfeiffer's influenza bacillus in samples from flu victims. But nerdy Avery chimes in. We haven't found it consistently, Avery mused. Perhaps the virus is too small to see. Welch soon fell ill with the symptoms of the flu and quarantined himself in his favorite Atlantic City hotel. Yeah, this old dude partied in Atlantic City. Just think about that. I've seen Boardwalk Empire, so I know exactly what, what's happening. What's going here. on? Yeah. yeah, it was a, that exact same time. So somewhere in the uh, background of Boardwalk Empire, there would have been this freaking doctor getting drunk. And I wonder if he met Nucky Thompson. <laughs> he would be stuck there, ill and out of commission for weeks. There were lots of conspiracies going around. And as there was no clear information or talking points coming from the federal government, and every paper in the nation reported on the flu differently and almost never accurately. I heard the Germans released the virus from their U-boats on the coast and it wafts over here in the air. I heard that German aspirin company Bayer poisons all their product with the flu to kill Americans. I heard your dog carries the flu, so I shot mine. I can shoot yours if you like. Wow, is that fucking true? That's awful. They yeah. killed thousands of dogs and pets in Arizona from this conspiracy theory. The Bayer thing was kind of true, only because doctors were over-prescribing aspirin to flu patients, and the patients would overdose and die from aspirin poisoning, which wasn't known at the time. How many bears does it take to get to an overdose? <laughs> I think it was quite a few. But people were feeling crappy, so they just say, take, you know, a handful of aspirin until mm. you feel better, and, and you know, you can, you can still overdose from aspirin. Now, you know, I'm supposed to take a few. Mother, do we have to have aspirin soup again for dinner? <laughs> Welch and the Rockefeller Center eventually developed what they thought might be a vaccine. But because the Rockefeller Center was a part of the military, the government refused to give any vaccines to U.S. cities and made only enough for the military and the civilians essential to the war effort. Mm. When the horse butt injections were finally complete, Williams and Park also... My favorite hobby. <laughs> mm. I wish this horse butt injections wouldn't end. What am I going to do with my time now that all these horse button injections are done? I love it. <laughs> Williamson Park also thought that they had developed a potential vaccine. It was produced in mass, distributed, and was of no effect. No one's vaccine worked. Techniques were developed to, keep, to help keep sick people alive, including a procedure for draining the fluid from the lungs. Most of this frontline critical care work was delivered by nurses. 36,000 doctors were serving overseas, and even the doctors at home couldn't do much to help the dying people. Their training wasn't at the bedside, but in operations or lengthy procedures, which most patients didn't have time for. As civilians and nurses stepped up around the country to fight the disease, President Woodrow Dumfuck Wilson did absolutely nothing. This episode is brought to you by the Wilson Estate. <laughs> the Wilson yeah. Library. In fact, what's, this, what's your beef with Wilson? What's he's such a here? fucking idiot. We'll do a whole episode on him. He's he's wow. Well, he started. He got. I didn't start, but he got us into World War One. Zach doesn't have Twitter feuds with anyone currently <clears throat> Except alive. Dead Except presidents. We'll do a. We'll At do a, Woodrow Wilson, you dumb fuck. <laughs> we'll do a Lincoln one too. Don't worry, that's coming. Oh my god. And no. a Kennedy, I'm sure. In fact, Wilson contracted the flu himself in Paris in April 1919, and it fucked with his brain. When he recovered, he was never the same and would blurt out unexpected orders and apparently made all kinds of odd concessions at the Treaty of Versailles. So anyway, he also had some kind of brain damage from it afterwards on top of everything else and was still president. How much mustard gas did he breathe? And he was in love with his cousin. We'll, we'll talk about it more later. So was every U.S. president. <laughs> seemed to be a thing. It was a thing. <laughs> Rich people at that time. Well, that's what know. I'm saying. 
the Kennedys and my family got here in 1630 and we've been making sweet love to each other ever since. The second wave of the flu spread across the entire world, jumping continents via shipping channels. It was on every continent except Antarctica. This is only the second wave. We're like 95 minutes. We're, we're getting <laughs> we're getting one quarter of the How way. How light feels right now? It's only second wave. I'm like 95 minutes into the first 10 minutes of this day. Episode one of this Jesus podcast Christ. has taken the entire 965 days of March. <laughs> Welter's replacement, Victor Vaughn, wrote... Is this a sketch? Someone read... No, it's just a quote. Someone read Vaughn. Who's Vaughn? He's Welter's replacement. If this epidemic continues at its mathematical rate of acceleration, civilization could easily disappear from the face of the Earth in a matter of a few more weeks. This is Vaughn, giving you your daily humor and little quirky anecdotes... All the way from Antarctica. Wait, why is he in Antarctica? He's, He's not. not. He's not. Oh, it's just that not. was just the last word. I'm here <laughs> in the script. I'm here He's not in, there. <laughs> I'm here in Antarctica, and I'm pointing out the virus isn't here. Countries all over the world, including America, use the disease as an excuse to create more restrictions for minority groups. In South Africa, it led to a law banning black South Africans from entering urban areas without a pass. In India, the native population watched the British government offer no help and instead they received treatment and care from the revolutionaries. Gandhi and his movement received the support of the Indian people based on their productive reaction to the pandemic. And the pandemic killed more people in India than anywhere else. Gandhi himself fell ill to the disease. But he recovered later, obviously. In the end, herd immunity kicked in and the virus essentially infected everyone it could on the planet until too many survivors were immune and the disease couldn't reach enough new victims. Perhaps the most devastating thing about the 1918 pandemic was how quickly it was forgotten. Families across the U.S. suffered and grieved quietly and privately. The trauma of the pandemic was so great, people wouldn't even discuss it once it was all over. Who wants to talk about that? Who wants yeah. to say, what happened to you during the war? You well, I lost my whole on. family. Yeah, you, you might say, oh, I threw a grenade in a trench and killed some Germans and helped America win. You don't really say mm-hmm. I came home and everyone was buried in the backyard. The worldwide death toll was between 500 and 100 million people, killing 3 to 6% of the world's population. The discrepancy exists because there was a, because this was a worldwide disease and different countries had different record-keeping abilities. Additionally, deaths due to this illness were not always attributed to the flu. Even to this day, scientists go back and forth on whether certain outbreaks at the time were connected to the flu or not. The serums developed by scientists like Williams and Park went on to become the DTP triad vaccine we use today. It drove new research and the creation of new public health institutions like the CDC and health insurance. Anna Williams inspired an entire generation of female researchers and would continue to have a prosperous career in disease research until her retirement. Avery, the nerdy single white man, did not find the 1918 flu vaccine. Many years later, he did help discover DNA. After the war, a Scottish doctor studying Pfeiffer's bacillus accidentally left a sample out overnight, allowing some mold to grow. The doctor was Alexander Fleming, and the mold was penicillin. As we learn, the fact that the world was at war directly led to the intensity and vastness of the flu outbreak. It also creates a stark warning of the dangers of raising livestock and consuming meat. All the pandemics in the world, with a traceable origin, have come from populations living closely with either bird or pig livestock. How many other diseases have come from eating random meat? Ebola, SARS, mad cow, HIV, our current pandemic? Research shows 75% of infectious diseases that affect humans have their origins in animals. I'm just saying, be careful next time you go to a wet market. <laughs> Do we need to get into what that is? A wet market is where the bat is is a, is is like street meat. You, it's a market with a bunch of animals that are butchered but not or, or killed that you can buy and take home to consume. That's where the bat, that's where the coronavirus name. bat came from. Why is it called a wet market? I don't know. We were also entering a time that we were using animals for meat at an unprecedented level in, in yeah. the turn of the century. We had so many people, so many populations. We were cranking out you know um animals for our use that this might be why we for the first time got the honor of having the global pandemic come from uh, because usually it was russia or china just because 
those were large populations that lived with livestock. There were positive effects from the flu as well. During the war and the pandemic, women and other minority groups in America and around the world stepped into leadership positions when all the standard governance and institutions had failed. This directly led to the women's suffrage and women's rights movements of the 1920s. The flu also revealed huge gaps in wealth around the world, as well as the ugly side of capitalism, especially in countries still suffering from colonialism. Much like we are seeing today, we can take these traumas and these lessons and learn and grow from them. A lot of the problems of the 1918 pandemic were repeated in our current pandemic. Let's all take the opportunity to use the post-pandemic world as a chance for a major positive change because there will always be people who attempt to use this time for other purposes. May 29th, 1918. This is the end. I'm not going to survive this flu. I leave my assets and fortune to you and your mother. Goodbye, cruel world. Eh, tremendous, what should I buy first? Something gold for sure. I'm going to make billions and billions and billions and billions and leave it all to my son. Blow on casinos. Well, the son who doesn't die of alcoholism. I'm talking about the one who will become one of the most narcissistic leaders of our great developed nation. All because of my extreme lack of presence and love in his life. That's right. All because of me. Everybody's saying it. All me. I mean, I'm 12 right now, it's just a plan, but a damn good one. Some would say the best. In fact, everybody's saying it. The best plan ever from a 12-year-old ever in this country. The end. Goodbye. Done. That's our show. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Let us know what history stories you want to hear next, and we will be back next week with a new story. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Any final thoughts or... That was... <laughs> I don't know what you were looking for while listening to this podcast, but I hope you found it. All lawsuits or uh, libel lawsuits can be uh, addressed directly to Zach. Um, he completely wrote these scripts and all the words. We had never seen these. We were just players thrust into this. Well, cool. Great. Thanks. Yeah, that was fun. You can reach out at historiesajokepodcast at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at Histories A Joke Pod. You can find us online at LavenderFingerProductions.com. Tired of being Soldier One. I want to be Soldier <laughs> Two. I need a break out of this. I'll be Soldier I'm One. Being... You be Soldier One's wife. I'm. <laughs> Histories A Joke Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Find us on Venmo at History's a joke. <laughs>